0: Financial advisor,
1: Justin Klein. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, September 14th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today because it is Thursday and back by popular demand. Luke Guerrero is with us. Thanks for being here, Luke.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm glad you count all the votes that my mom puts in.
1: Yeah, well, maybe we just have a lot of Cornell grads as well. Could be. That could be. That could be too. I know we have uh, a lot of listeners on the East Coast, so that certainly could be possible. Now, our goal each Weekday is always to give you some actionable material as well as some data points that you can use to make better decisions with your money, with your investments, and hopefully teach you a lesson or two that can shape your decision-making process so that you consistently make good decisions day after day, week after week, month after month. And that's what it's about, and that's what we're here to help you build are those habits and those skills that will help you become a better investor. Now we're going to talk about the market performance in a minute. We're going to run down some show topics, but first we're going to get to a caller question at 888 chart
0: Hi, I like your show. I want to talk about STEM. S-T-E-M is the ticker. My name's Jeff. Is this a good buy? Battery storage for power backup. Thank you.
1: All right, looking at STEM, this is – that's the name of the company, STEM, S-T-E-M, and small cap, about $785 million market cap. They provide energy storage solutions with its AI-powered analytics platform to optimize energy use. Sounds like another one of those names that are throwing AI into what they're trying to do. How much of it is AI? How much is it uh, fluff? You know, it's TBD. But ultimately – This is a company that is growing revenues, but isn't making any money, has never made any money, and revenue growth is slowing dramatically. A year ago, revenues were up 246% year over year, but last quarter, only up 39% year over year, and they continue to lose about 25 cents per quarter. So to me, Luke, this seems like a name that is a whole lot of hype and as you said before the show, where's the beef, right? Where's where's the beef here?
2: Where is the beef? And the beef in this case would be profits. And yeah. They just do not exist. I'm sorry, cash flow as well. That does not exist. And for me in this type of environment, I'm not looking to invest in companies that don't have positive cash flow and positive profits.
1: And we've had three days in a row here where a caller called about a stock that had a single digit relative strength, meaning 90 plus percent of Companies within the last year have done better than these names, and this one is actually worse. The last two had a relative strength of nine; this one has a relative strength of eight. Eight.
2: That's very low. I don't always agree with short sellers generally, but it looks to me like the
1: thirty percent short interest is kind of correct on this one. <laughs> well, they've been correct so far, as it as it continues to uh, head lower. It peaked back in twenty twenty one. Right around $50, a little over $50 per share. Now we're at $5 per share. We're down 90%, and that makes sense. This is an environment where now the cost of capital is something, not zero, like it was post-financial crisis, post-COVID, lockdowns, et cetera, that... You can't be a company that loses money and just serially issues shares. And this is a name uh, that continues to do that. So this is the antithesis of a good company to invest in at this point. So 100% pass on STEM. Although with that short interest, you could see a short covering rally potentially potentially,
2: but that also implies that you would have to have people who are willing to long this and risk losing a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, there are many people out there at this point, especially because the prospects of the business remain pretty dismal. All right, now we have a lot to cover over the next 45 minutes. And our focus point looks in the story behind this question. Could an economic downturn in China affect your portfolio? So we're going to look at the Wide-ranging ramifications of a Chinese economy that is in flux, in transition, not only from how they're structuring the economy, but how uh, the demographics are shaping it as well. So we're going to look at that. Also, we're going to touch a bit on how European governments are starting to borrow directly from citizens and their efforts and how that will manifest in Really, the financial markets, mainly banks, who are basically competing for those dollars. Also, nuclear power. There's been increasing interest to transition into a more green economy, and even in Europe, where there's been a lot of pushback against nuclear for a long time. You know the that the winds are, are shifting, but uranium prices are headed higher. I've been talking about this for a while. But you're starting to really get that ramping up, and we're going to discuss that topic. And then lastly, Google and the Department of Justice are ready for a stare down. And we're going to touch on that topic and see how that might affect Google itself as well as some of the other large tech names that may be also facing scrutiny from government regulators in various ways. So those are on the docket for us during this hour we have some voice bank questions, MITK, as well as property tax limits are a couple of them, as well as maybe we'll get to a uh, another uh, iTunes review question as well. Now, let's talk about the market performance for today. It was a decidedly positive day, but mainly for the value side of the market, which is interesting. Luke, we've had a couple of inflation data points come out over the past couple of days. The, I, I, I read them as fairly mixed. How did you read them?
2: I read them as the market interpreting them in more of a gradual yawn. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen over the past couple of weeks is small caps have really been lagging some of those large names. Today was the exact opposite. The mm-hmm. S&P 500 was up 84 basis points, while the Russell 2000, the small cap index, was, index, was up 1.4%. So what that tells me is there was still some fear that these – the news from these prints could have been negative and scared the market a little bit, but because of how boring they were, small caps <laughs> seemed to catch up to where the rest of the market had been
1: heading all week. Yeah. And now the odds of a fed rate hike by the end of the year are less than 50, 50. You're talking about the, this next week. We have a fed meeting and the odds of a hike are only 4%. So it's basically locked in that they're going to pause November First there will be another meeting that's about a 64% chance of a pause and December there is a 59% chance that we will also be at the same level of the target rate range that we're at now. So it's clear that the market is expecting the increasingly expecting that the Fed to be done with its rate hiking cycle and the inflation data is backing that up. We've talked about the jobs data and the revisions lower pretty much every month of this year and the fact that, you know, the jobs market, not terrible, but certainly not headed in the the, the right direction, uh, modestly weaker. So I think that combination is making the, the market a bit more... More positive.
2: Yeah, we'll see. There are some things on the horizon that you should be a little concerned about if the auto workers start to strike and how that's going to affect auto inventories and therefore inflation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, OPEC is crunching down on their output as well. That's going to affect fuel prices. So I wouldn't say we're out of the woods, certainly. And there are some things on the horizon that may boost inflation back up again and and change the odds of a hike this year. But as of right now, I do agree with you that the the odds of a hike this year are receding.
1: Yeah, but if the market remains solid, robust, uh, as it has in this, this pullback has just been modest. And we stay around these levels around the SP 4500 or so that gives more impetus for the Fed to hike again. So it's kind of uh, counterintuitive there. But uh, that's why I think we're in this uh, really grinding, uh, consolidated market. All right. That's where we are. We're ready for your questions. We're going to head to a break first. And before that, let me tell you about the InvestTalk Classroom series. It's now up on YouTube. And our sixth episode that Luke and I did, it's called On Value Traps. So you can head over and check out that video that uh, I think has a lot of insights that a lot of value investors need to take into consideration and make sure they avoid those value traps. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
3: When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times.
4: Just wanted to get your opinion on. J.P. Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds.
3: And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein.
1: That's why it's trading so cheap, because
3: there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Beasley. I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk,
1: 888-99-CHART. All right, now our focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Could an economic downturn in China affect your portfolio? Now, has central banks around the world, here in North America, Europe, and elsewhere, are are raising rates? The People's Bank of China are actually lowering their rate. They lowered their one-year prime rate to 3.45%, and that's because their economy is not overheating. It's actually struggling, and you're seeing deflationary pressures... Uh, across China, Uh, yuan depreciation, as well as uh, the property sector, that you're seeing some large defaults. And the big question is, how is this going to impact your portfolio? Most people, hopefully, uh, don't have a huge exposure to China, especially directly. We've talked about the weakness in China for some time now. But obviously, they're the second largest economy in the world. And they've been the majority of global growth for the past couple of decades. And so if they are starting to retrench due to restructuring the economy, due to demographic shifting uh, and and, and shrinkage, then that's going to have wide-ranging global ramifications. Now, the first one would obviously be on commodity prices. And if they are moving to an, an economy that is more internally focused, focused on consumption as opposed to, investing in infrastructure and plant property equipment so that they can build more things for the rest of the world and export them to the rest of the world. If that's shifting, that means the demand for raw commodities are actually going to go down. Now, what's interesting here, Luke, is that commodity prices really haven't suffered even though you've had this downturn in building uh, and, and investment within China. So is this Because of the global demand for green energy infrastructure that has been building over the past few years? It could be. It also could be that this is a
2: situation where you had anticipated resurgence of demand in an already weak global demand dynamic, and a lot of it was already priced in. So for some time now, I think the assumption has been that the original null hypothesis that Chinese demand would be a large portion of growth over the next year, uh, that's been thrown out the window a while ago. So, But for me, within the commodity space and specifically within energy, what this tells me is the lack of demand coming out of China is actually very beneficial to European countries that have been struggling to compete with China in buying uh, energy that is already far more expensive than it was two, three years ago.
1: And. You know, the, uh, the way that I look at it is that other countries are starting to do the investments that China is no longer doing. Exactly. So we talked about it before. I think, uh, what is it? Cap X on manufacturing facilities in the US is up 78% year over year. Uh, That is A lot of that are actually not necessarily domestic companies, but even Chinese companies that are investing in production here in the U.S. Uh, And so in other Asian countries that typically uh, they'd been uh, investing in growing their footprint in China, now they're investing in growing their footprint in other parts of Asia as well as North America. So I think that's the counter here is that, yes, China is demanding less raw materials but other countries are demanding a lot more and as long and I actually think overall there's a lot more underinvestment in the rest of the world that needs to be caught up. And so I actually think this is bullish commodities. If you have to actually look at the recent move, commodity prices are going up even as the dollar is going up. So I think that is uh, telling a a real story here of underlying strong commodity demand around the world. Uh, Now, we're going to go to a quick break and we have some other... Larger impacts that we're going to discuss in regards to China's slowdown. Now, remember that you can call anytime, leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. And if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 99 Chart.
3: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
1: Now, before the break, we talked about how there's a balance between the slowing demand for rock commodities due to a slowing Chinese economy, but also increasing demand from Other developed markets and other even emerging markets. And so I really don't think that's going to be a major uh, fallout from this. And and you haven't seen that uh, so far. And I think if you had, you would have seen it. Uh, But it's really about... Uh, The next order of effect would be the exporting of really deflation to the rest of the world, and that's what China is feeling internally, and you're seeing that in the price of goods that go out of the country, and that's certainly going to help the help inflation around the world. Now, it does take time. And if you look at the producer price index, which tracks the price of factory, what factories charge wholesalers for their products, it fell by 4.4% year over year in July in China. And that's the 10th consecutive month of decline. And so this deflationary spillover is likely to continue. But if you actually understand the inflation dynamics in the developed world, the physical... Goods market isn't really where deflation where inflation is happening anyway. It's more in the consumer or the, the services side. And China doesn't really have an impact on that. So do you think Lucas will have enough of an impact to really bring the inflation down to the central bank's targets? Well, I
2: still think the question exists of what is the degree to which and length of the deflationary impulse in China. Mm-hmm. Right? There was a one quarter period in 2021 as well, where there was some deflation and there were some talks about what has that going to have an effect on, on the global economy that didn't really last. That was just a short deflationary period. So I think the magnitude and the intensity are important in deciding whether or not this is going to have an impact. Though I do think, like you said, because of what's going on in in Europe with, with energy prices, certainly the services sector is where most of the inflation is, but any deflationary pressure on energy prices is going to be beneficial for most of the developed world.
1: Yeah. And, Clearly, they are a big importer of raw materials, and especially energy, oil, natural gas. Now, they're getting a lot of that from Russia, but they're doing that on the cheap right now. And that might change, and that could uh, bring uh, some more inflationary pressures uh, to China. And obviously, that would feed through to uh, the rest of the world and end products. So that'll be interesting to see. Like we said, what is the, the the length of time that that deflationary pulse on the good side will, will last? Now, the next question that investors have to answer is, what will China do to stimulate the economy? Are they going to cut interest rates? Are they going to do some fiscal spending? And in the financial crisis, they were probably even more than we were. We passed a stimulus package, but they passed a much larger stimulus package. And that's where you got a lot of those ghost cities. Uh, to uh, create a lot of uh, economic activity. Obviously that was poorly done when it comes to uh, a measure of misallocation of capital. It clearly was, but I think that's what they're trying to avoid. They're they're probably seeing that. Hopefully you would imagine that those ghost cities, not a good use of their raw materials and uh, adding a bunch of debt on these cities and and, and, uh, buildings that uh, really have no use. So, What will they spend on if they're trying to be less focused on investment and more focused on domestic consumption? Would it be just cutting interest rates just so consumers can now borrow and spend? I think that's probably the most likely. I mean I think they have to. One of the benefits
2: of uh, having a centralized totalitarian government is that you can have the – investment part of gdp be a large portion but at some point you got to pay the piper and i think that all of this is just centered around them trying to deleverage and push it more towards a consumer focused economy so if they were smart that's kind of where they would allocate
1: yeah and and they like you said they're they're state controlled and and they can they can maneuver i think a lot better than japan who had a similar a demographic bust in the early 90s So I don't think it'll be quite that bad. I think it'll be more controlled, but it's definitely going to be different than uh, we've experienced. So uh, overall, this tells me that I don't think China's a good place to invest right now. Um, And uh, I think the longer term ramifications are still to be seen with how long this deflation lasts. Now, let's keep things moving and move on to our listener question at 888-99-CHART.
3: Hey, Justin, Steve, this is Rob from Connecticut Calling. Wondering if you have any experience or if you've advised anyone in purchasing tax liens on property and collecting interest. Want wanted to see if you guys think that's a viable investing option in place of purchasing properties. I'd uh, love to see what you think. Thanks.
1: I've never done that. And I, this is actually a really good question for Steve. So I'm actually going to punt this to Steve and have our producer... Put this on first, replay it for Steve because I don't have any experience myself, uh, but I believe Steve does. Luke, do you have you looked into this? The only
2: experience I have with this specific question is me Googling it just now.
1: Ah, oh, got it. I mean, I, I know what they are, I've, I've, I've definitely read up on them throughout the years, but I don't have any personal experience. But I believe Steve has, so this will be a good one for. Him. All right. Now, the next invest talk, we'll look into the story behind this question. August wholesale inflation increased 0.7%. Should investors be concerned? Now the producer price index increased a seasonally adjusted 0.7% in August, higher than the estimates and the biggest monthly gain since June of last year. That story tomorrow, but for now I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 88.99 chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today.
3: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk-alized quiz. The InvestTalk phone lines are open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's go talk to Roger. He's in the Bay Area. He wants to talk about CF Industries.
4: Yeah, I just want kind to of look, uh, yeah, I wanted to know your opinion on CF industries. Uh, it's up almost like 40% in the last three months. But here to date, it's pretty much flat. It has not gone anywhere. But the long-term fundamentals look good. So I wanted to know your opinion on that. And also, I have a, like a second mini question sort of a thing. Like, uh, you frequently mentioned to stay away from stocks uh, whose technicals are in a downtrend. But like for stocks, which are good fundamentally, if we see them dropping due to external or like commentary factors, the technicals will almost always be a downturn, right? So shouldn't one make use of that dip to buy into them? What's your stay on this?
1: Well, let me uh, address the last part. Yeah, there's uh, of course good good values. Newly good values are uh, are have poor technicals, but the problem is that those technicals can continue to get worse, especially. One of the most expensive type of companies you can buy are cyclical companies that look cheap today, but are are at the you're at the end of an economic cycle. Meaning, yes, based on the last year's earnings, they they're, they're trading at a you know maybe twelve times for look you know the current earnings, but because earnings are about to drop dramatically, it's very expensive because earnings are about to be cut in, in half or more. And so, typically, the chart will will run ahead of that and it'll look really cheap, and it'll continue down even more because. The fundamentals keep deteriorating. So what you want to do is find the, the companies that are relatively inexpensive, but now starting to gain strength It means that the, the backdrop of their business is, is improving. So uh, I've seen way too many people get in front of uh, companies that are that look cheap today, and they get 50% more cheap, uh, you know, in, in a few months time. So You want to line up uh, multiple factors, all right? Now, CF Industries, this is a name that got a big boost during the uh, start of the Ukraine war, and this is because energy prices, especially natural gas in Europe, was very, very high. And this is basically a way to arbitrage the price of natural gas in Europe versus here in the US. And CF Industries, they make nitrogen fertilizer, and if you know how these artificial fertilizers are made about 50% of the cost input is natural gas so if you're able to produce natural gas here in the US this is a headquartered here in the US and make this that make this fertilizer using natural gas that costs 250 per BTU uh, versus in Europe it was what did it hit it hit like $20 per thousand BTUs, right? Something like that. Um, And they were basically arbitraging. And that's why in 2022, they made $18.88, while in 2019, they only made $1.92. Now, they're still supposed to make $8 this year, $6.55 next year. But those estimates for next year are going up here. And we actually own this. And that's really what it is. It's that arbitrage between those two prices. And you're starting to see the cost of uh, natural gas in Europe go back up. And that's why this uh, this is starting to uh, hit that uptrend, so this is a good way to, I think, play play that spread, play the ag business uh, and ag prices, which are on the rise as well. Uh, your thoughts, Luke. Yeah, from a fundamental
2: perspective for CF Industries, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at right now for a lot of companies is what is their debt load look like and how far out is it pushed. So one of the benefits of CF Industries is that seventy five percent of its debt is pushed out beyond twenty thirty three, meaning they're not gonna have to deal with rolling over a lot of credit short term with varying interest rates and a lot of uncertainty. So that's another benefit there. Their profitability as well has been looking good and their cash flow has been increasing over the past couple years. So from a fundamental perspective, I would say this company is a great investment. It's one of the reasons we hold
1: yeah and their net debt is only is less than two billion yeah. dollars on a mark cap of 16 billion so very very modest debt profile and they paid down a, a lot of debt during uh this recent run 2021 they had $4 billion in debt. Now it's at $3 billion, So in long-term debt. So they have paid down a billion dollars of that. So uh, they, they've done some smart things with that cash flow, as well as pay out a, a nice dividend. So we like CF and the technicals look pretty good. Now let's go to Gene in North Carolina. He wants to talk about individual bond ratings. Thanks for,
4: thanks for taking my call, uh, Justin sure. and Luke. Um, yes. So I was... Uh, interested in buying individual uh, corporate bonds from large banks, just like such as Wells Fargo or Citigroup. And when I look at all the bonds that they offer, some of the bonds that have this, some of their bonds that have the same maturity date. Um, some of them are rated, for example, triple B plus. They're senior. Their seniority is senior, and some of the subordinate bonds are rated only double B plus. And the double B plus bonds. Have a higher yield to maturity, so it leads me to believe that that it I'm, I'm being paid more because it's more risky to buy a subordinate bond from from a large bank, even though it has the same maturity date. Would that be true, or I, I kind of see it as either they're going to go bankrupt or they're not. Everything's going to go down, and it will be paid off, or you won't be paid off.
1: Well, you're taking more risk because you're sub. That's what subordinated mean means. You are not senior you're looking at senior bonds are going to be rated higher because there's more protection there. They're the first ones to get paid out in bankruptcy. If you're subordinated means that you're, you're next in line. And so that naturally would have a lower rating and a higher yield because you're taking more risk. So that's what it means. Yes. You you are taking more risk. Uh, You would still probably, you know, you're still getting paid ahead of preferred shareholders and common, common equity holders, but you are behind all of those senior holders. So, you know, is it worth the extra couple of basis points? Maybe for you to be the judge, but yeah, that's what subordinated means. It means that you're certainly you're lower in the priority list and thus taking more risk. All right, let's go to Will in San Diego. He wants to talk about Paramount.
4: Yes. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. I'm wondering if there's a good entry point for this stock.
1: Well, Paramount is on a very strong downtrend and they have a lot of debt on their balance sheets. And that's the issue here is that the market looks to be pricing in an increasing likelihood of default of bankruptcy. And so it might look cheap, but earnings are clearly on the decline down 84% year over year last quarter. And they have a ton of debt on their balance sheet, uh, about, mm. let's see, what's that? About $14 billion net debt on a $9 billion market cap. To me, and the technicals are, are pretty bad. Their relative strength is 13. It's not single digits, but it's still pretty bad. Luke, I don't see a buy point here. This uh, looks like picking picking up uh, pennies in front of a steamroller to me.
2: Yeah, I agree and, and and Paramount is one of those one of those streaming companies as well that is just hemorrhaging money trying to go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Um I think their business segment has lost almost 2 billion dollars in the last year just from trying to go direct to consumer. So, I think with a lot of the companies that have a streaming segment that is probably part of their future growth plan, there's some time they got to figure out how they're going to make money from it. So for me, this is a stay away.
1: And can they stay not bankrupt? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, while they're trying to figure out uh, that profitability. So I'm absolutely staying away from Paramount. All right, let's go to Craig in Seattle. Let's talk about Roth 401ks. Hey, uh, hey Justin. So I'm 52. I've
4: got about 600000 in a Roth 401k. And I am considering uh, leaving my employer, which I think means that I can roll that into my Roth IRA. Um, but I'm curious if the same uh, rules apply where whatever my contributions have been over the last five, six years into the Roth 401k, if I'm able to pull those before 59 and a half without penalty, like I would in a Roth IRA.
1: I believe so. As long as that Roth IRA is over five years old, is it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I see no reason why you couldn't take out those original contributions. From what I understand about the rules, yes, you you could do that. And uh, if you do leave your job, you definitely should be rolling that Roth 401k into your Roth IRA.
4: Okay. That's outstanding. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for the call. Well, now we are halfway through September. Tomorrow is September 15th. And that means we're just a couple of weeks away from the end of the quarter. And... You know, entering that fourth quarter, and this has been an interesting year. It's been a nice, positive year overall, but a lot of some scares earlier in the year. Uh, We've had a recent pullback and a lot of market gyrations that uh, probably may be confusing you, especially in a slowing economy. You know, most people don't think you can have stocks go up in that environment, but a lot of it's positioning and sentiment, and these this different market environment means you need different strategies. Uh, than you, we've seen in the past. So if you need help understanding whether you are on the right track, you want to maybe do a financial plan, you want to understand whether your portfolio is aligned with the trends in the market, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and which means we invest right alongside our clients, and we practice unbiased guidance both on and off air. So you can schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting by heading over to investtalk.com and clicking on the portfolio review button in the top right corner, or you can give our office call at 800-557-5461. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get you on the right track. All right, now let's touch a bit on countries going direct to consumer. Now, what does that mean? It means that European countries are starting to issue their bonds directly to their citizens. Kind of like how we do it with treasurydirect.gov. But more and more countries are realizing that this is an easier thing. Not only is it lowering borrowing costs overall for governments, but it's helping citizens bring in more income from their cash, whereas their banks are not really paying them out very much. You know, They're, they're relying on complacency, but governments more and more are offering ways for individuals to earn a lot on their cash.
2: Yeah, I love absolutely everything about this. I think one of the most criminal things about – criminal is probably too strong of a word, but one of the worst things about the U.S. banking system is the yield currently on savings accounts. It's, it's it's absurd. It's what caused the flight from banks in March that collapsed some some pretty large banks. So the big benefit to me in this is not only is it giving citizens an option – to get more yield and therefore maybe forcing the hand of banks to raise yields on savings accounts. It's also helping citizens because the cost of borrowing from for the government becomes cheaper. You're cutting out the bank middleman. So all around, this helps average people.
1: And the money is staying within the country. Yeah. It's not going uh, elsewhere as much Right, because a lot of countries, they're relying on maybe foreign buyers of their debt. And so when they focus on issuing this to their citizens, then it's uh, it, it helps their economy overall. Now, what's interesting here, too, is that governments are offering tax incentives to buy this debt. Italy and Belgium's recent government bonds are taxed at about half the rate of other savings instruments and investment products. And Greece's bonds are tax-free completely. So that's another added benefit of individuals buying these bonds. And so uh, I think this is an increasing trend. You're seeing that, like I said, at the top of the show, or top of the topic about uh, treasurydirect.gov. That's been around for a while. I I don't remember when that was launched. Do you remember? No, I'm not sure exactly. I want to say it was the early 2000s, something like that. But it's clearly a a trend. and, And... my question is with something like fed now coming on board probably over the next decade or so is this the new way that governments are going to increase their ballooning deficits is focusing less on how we get foreigners to buy our debt as much as individuals domestically and that's what's happened in Japan that's one reason why Japan hasn't defaulted is because the vast majority of their debt are owned by either the Bank of Japan or individuals. Individual savers. Yeah, I think fiscal deficits
2: are certainly an issue. And the reality is is that they're going to have to raise the money some way. So if they can do it in the cheapest, most cost effective way this seems to be a better way to do it. The past couple years was moving towards in the, in the public markets towards uh, IPOing with SPACs rather than using middleman investment banks saving on the fees. Now, this is issuing bonds without using the middleman investment banks and saving on the fees. So I think moving more towards a cost-effective system is, again, more beneficial not just for citizens from a savings perspective but from tax- for taxpayers.
1: Uh, so even governments are trying to cut out Wall Street. We like that. We like that. And uh, how much will this impact earnings from Wall Street? That'll be interesting. Anyway, all right. We fit in a lot of caller questions today, but let's, talk, let's take another one. And we're going to do a live call from Bill in Palm Desert wants to talk about DEER.
4: Oh, yeah, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a position in DEER. It's uh, probably 2% of a uh, balanced portfolio. I just wanted to get your take. Is that something that you would uh, hold going forward, or uh, should I move on? I have a, 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 a modest gain in the stock right now.
1: Well, Deer is the world's largest manufacturer of agricultural equipment and heavy machinery. And ag prices are going higher. Uh, we talked about CF, and obviously that's linked to uh, ag. But Deer is... Uh, a big, The biggest blue chip name within the space, return equity, 47%. Now, that's a bit higher than its five-year average, around 32%. So it's probably over, over-earning over a bit, but it's still relatively cheap. Its five-year P range is between 11 and 36, and it's at 12. So it's at the low end of that. Revenue and earnings continue to power higher. Earnings this year supposed to be up 45%. Technicals are fine. Not amazing, but they're fine. They do have a decent amount of debt. That would be – that would be my biggest worry. Uh, But I'm fine with this, Luke. I I don't have any issues. Do you?
2: Yeah, I would be a little concerned about their debt. I think generally it's a a fine company to own. I'm seeing their credit default swap spreads, which is the cost to insure against default of a company, have been widening over the past couple – months but that's nothing that's kind of outside the norm within the industry but i would be a little concerned about a large portion of their debt coming due in the next four years three four
1: years yeah and the increasing cost of that exactly debt, refinancing that debt um so that would probably be the biggest negative here but overall it's a big blue chip name with very strong cash flows yeah. i wouldn't be too worried about it unless there's a technical break and i'm not seeing that now all right this is the best talk I'm Justin Klein, along with Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you, help you become a better investor and achieve your version of financial freedom. So give me a call at 99 chart. Invest Talk
3: is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions.
1: We're going to go to Hayward and talk with Bill. He wants to talk about ASML. You owner, or looking to buy it? Hi, uh, you guys.
4: Yeah, I'm looking to buy it. I mean, I had a I have a small position that I've held for, I think I've had it, like two and a half years. Um, and
0: unfortunately, and I never, uh, it,
4: it wasn't that big, so I didn't
0: reduce any during any of the pullbacks, but. I, I just like the company,
4: and I was thinking of buying some more in my uh, taxable account. What's your take on the stock and the price?
1: Well, ASML has been rolling over over as of late. This is a large name, two hundred forty-five billion dollar market cap. It peaked during the height of the chip shortage crisis, right on nine hundred dollars per share. Now it's at six twenty-one. You 1% yield, modest amount of debt. I don't think that's an issue. Uh, The biggest issue here is that the chip industry is historically very cyclical. You go from overcapacity to undercapacity. Obviously, we had undercapacity during COVID because everyone was buying physical goods. And now that's shifted and you still have a lot of uh, uh, capacity that's left out there. Now... That's the headwind. And I think you're seeing that with the trend in earnings expectations for this year and next year, which continue to be downgraded. But you have the longer term tailwind of reshoring chip production here to the US. And you're not going to ship those, those, uh, those, the equipment from China. You're probably going to buy new stuff here to be installed in the US. So near term, I'm not a fan of it. Long term, I do think you, probably find a time to to buy more but i just don't think it's right now luke
2: yeah, I agree. I think it's not crazily overvalued on a relative valuation perspective compared to its five year average. Its price to book is 21 compared to 16, though that ranged from four to 36 over the past five years. Big range. It, it, it's certainly a big range. I think with a lot of semiconductors and chip companies, though, one of the issues is that we still are in the fallout from the AI craze, right? Mm-hmm. So the most recently quarter uh, financials is going to reflect a lot of the buying and a lot of the craze. So I think that over the next six months to a year, there's probably going going to be a mean reversion in terms of sales growth. So I would I would wait that out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. This is a, a name you want to have on your watch list, but you want to be buying it closer to the trough of the cycle. And I think we just are past the peak of the cycle. I agree. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Bill. All right. Now, lastly, let's touch on uranium prices. And uranium prices are up big. And that's because Companies or not companies, countries around the world are restarting facilities. Uh, Japan has restarted what 16, I think it was I just read it. Yeah, 16 as of late. Uh, and sorry, a third of them have uh, of their 33 have restarted, and they're going to open 16 more after the Fukushima disaster, which they shut down. I think almost all of them. Yeah. After that disaster, China has 24 reactors under construction to add to its its fleet of 55. India plans to explain, expand its fleet several other countries are expanding as well. And they're just there was after Fukushima, there was massive oversupply in the in the uranium space that depressed prices and pretty much even commu- Kimiko, which is the largest uranium miner in the world, they shut down some of their largest plants because it just wasn't economical for them to keep pulling uranium out of the ground. And what they did was they just bought it in the spot market where they had sold these, uh, these longer term contracts and they were making a profit because it was so cheap and those contracts were at a higher price that didn't make sense for them to, to keep, uh, keep mining. And now you're starting to see that shift. Uranium's now above six, $62 per pound up 30% this year. And you have, uh, Uranium rich Niger that were the you had the recent coup that accounts for 24% of European Union imports and 5% of global uranium supply so that is a bit of a jolt to the market and then the potential for congress to ban imports of re- refined uranium from Russia which is a 40% of the world's enrichment capacity is in Russia
2: yeah, I think the big problem is that where a lot of the uranium is are destabilized areas of the world. The Kuhn cool Niger, the cool, uh, what's going on in Russia, Kazakhstan, not being able to export. But uh, certainly the demand is going to be increasing, so that's something to watch.
1: Yeah, I've said this for a while. It's one of my favorite parts of the material space is the uranium market. All right. That about does it for us. I'm Justin Klein along with Luke Guerrero. Let's complete another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime, as always, at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And thanks to you, we've achieved over 55.6 million downloads in our podcast history. And once again, we thank you for that loyalty. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: at 888-99-CHART.